Hey, IBC podcast listeners, Mark, that's Mid-America Revival Conference, happens September 8th and 9th, and if you've not already committed to attend, we hope you will. Our very own Brother Kilman is teaching a workshop on holiness. There are so many other fantastic speakers and workshop topics. We hope you'll join us there, and if you're an alumni, we would also love you to be with us at the Alumni Banquet Thursday evening. Visit our website, indianabible.college. Look to the events tab for more on both of those things happening. Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. We're so grateful to be back here at Indiana Bible College. Students are on campus, and this is a new season on the podcast. And this year in chapel, our executive vice president, Reverend Jason Gallion, preaches on the topic, Some Have a Job, You Have a Calling. Of all places, Brother Gallion got this message title from a bus advertising for employees of a local hospital here in the Indianapolis area. Let's get right to Reverend Jason Gallion preaching the first chapel of the 2022-2023 school year. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. This is a beautiful little mama. She has prayed a prayer. She has vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaiden and remember me and not forget thy handmaiden, but will give unto thy handmaiden a man-child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. We're going to skip over to chapter 2. She makes good on her promise. Okay, and I went to Ramah to his house. His dad left. And the child, this child that mama had committed to the service of the Lord, did minister before the Lord, before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Baal. And they knew not the Lord. Verse 18, but Samuel, here's this young child again, ministered before the Lord. and Became a child. Girded with a linen ephah. Verse 21, the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel, that little child that was committed to the service of the Lord, that ministered before the Lord, grew into the Lord. Verse 26, the child Samuel grew on, was in favor both with the Lord and with men. Chapter 3 and verse 1. The child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. I want to preach this thought. Some have jobs, but you have a calling. Let's lift our hands and call upon the name of the Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your touch. Pray, God, that your spirit would move upon us. Pray that you would convince us of what your will looks like and how it unfolds in our life. I pray, Lord, for strength of body and of mind and of spirit. I 
pray, God, that you'd encourage everyone that's here today. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would just minister as you, only you can. I give you thanks and I give you glory. We praise your name. Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. My wife and I were on our way to Indiana Bible College. And as we pulled up beside the people mover, and the people mover just leads me to an inside joke, Connor. Every time I think about it, I laugh. The talent show last year, we were having every class do a, a skit. And Connor and his group gets up and they talk about the complications at Calvary Tabernacle, in case you haven't wondered, that we're out of parking and there's not much room on the floor, amen, to set. And so Connor uh, made the meme that uh, we were asking because he was going to be Brother Turner, the campus pastor, and he made the statement that you'll just have to take the people mover, please, to Calvary Tabernacle every service. And then he also said, and we're going to have the students set on the floor, literally on the floor. And the people mover pulled up beside my wife and I, and I said, get your phone out, get your phone out, take a picture, take a picture. And my wife's phone, of course, was in the bottom of her purse in that abyss of blackness, and she couldn't find it, and she is digging around and chapstick and papers and baby wipes and kitchen sinks and, <laughs> and Cheez-Its for Marissa, and stuff was moving, and I just said, here, take my phone. And she couldn't quite, so I... I rolled down the window and stuck my hand out the window. You have that picture, Connor? Or not Connor, uh, Blaze and uh, whoever's back there. And, and, and I saw this on the side of the people mover bus that was about ready to pull and make a left onto Keystone Avenue. And it was simply the title that I said, that's the message that I'm going to preach. Some people have jobs. You have a calling. I don't know what the philosophy was behind this. I can only imagine. I, I, I got on their website and I couldn't find this phrase, this saying on the website. Now, I, I don't know who put that together, but I thought surely it was a spiritual individual. Surely it was. I know they've got some connections with the Catholic Church, but it, it wasn't there on the website, and I searched through their, their history and about them, and I couldn't find anywhere that connected with this phrase, except maybe God just put it on that for this sermon. I don't know. But I began to think about what their philosophy was, and you know, the workforce is struggling today. And really, why would you want a nurse or a doctor that just looks at patients as a job? And why would you really want someone that just is going to come in and, and swipe a card for a check-in and, and do their hours and then go home and never think about what they did that day or lives that they affected or did not affect? But I begin to think about the philosophy behind this statement, this very statement that gets us in a mind frame where we understand that what we do is not just a job. But it's a calling. I thought how this translated to the church, of course. And I opened up my library door just a few days ago. I have a little library hidden in the back of that conference room. And uh, I've never had that before. It's kind of embarrassing because I feel like that I've got the Taj Mahal of offices right now. But I promise you this is just for a small season. Because i got to get back over to the other side of the building. Amen. And, uh, but I, was, I pulled up in there and I opened up that door and... I've got all these books, and they are in absolute chaos. If there's anyone that would like to volunteer to help me organize my library, I would greatly appreciate that. I promise you all the coffee that you can drink and all the donuts that you can eat. And if anybody wants to take me up on that, just come see me after chapel. And I'm sitting there in frustration because it, it, it's just a mess. When, 
When, when I put the books, I took a couple of months and sorted through, and I had my sermonic material, my, my research, my commentaries, my Bible dictionaries. I, I had my philosophy and my counseling and my leadership, and, and I kind of knew where stuff was, and, and then all of it got piled. And thank you to those that put those books on the shelf. I'm, I'm indebted and grateful, but, but couldn't you have just maybe, no, we'll just leave that. And, but it's just there, just piled up, and... I'm finding books I didn't know I had were the Kilman, which is kind of cool because I'd forgotten. I'd bought them so long ago, and I pulled this book off the shelf, and I'm not going to tell you the name of it, but I opened the very first page, that cover page that tells you when it was first written. In 1978, it was written, and it's been reprinted three times, and this printing was of the third reprint of 2002. So this is not a new book by any stretch of the imagination, and it was pretty interesting when I open that book because some books we discount and we say well that that's over 20 years ago it's no 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 that's over 44 years ago that it was written the last reprint maybe they did a revision to help modernize it but still that's in 2002 that that doesn't really work real well with how we are and what we think but this was not written by a Pentecostal man no you may know his last name he's he's pretty famous and pretty well known but he put something in this book that caught me and, and, and it, it began to mess with my mind as some books will. I'm thankful that God allows those moments to happen in our life where we see something that begins to spark a God idea. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that this was a God idea. He talked about the vocabulary of church and church leadership. He said uh, even the vocabulary for discussing the church has been infected with the corporate jargon. A church should know its market, must promote itself accordingly. Seminars identifying maturing disciples as the product of the church. This ideal of manufacturing disciples seems to impose a mechanical model for growth. But a disciple's growth pattern should actually follow an organic model, he says. A spiritual life developed from one stage to the next because we are ministering to persons not following a formula, life is complex and sometimes chaotic. He goes on and says some very powerful statements. He referenced a, a businessman from Japan. This businessman was taking a trip to America and someone asked him, what is one of the things that stands out the most to you? He had met many people in, across this, this expansive nation. He would met many religious people it seems. He made the statements, he said, it's interesting, the American church today knows very little about flocks and shepherds and some church leaders pressure pastors to think and function like a Fortune 500 company. He said, whenever I meet a Buddhist leader, he said, I meet a holy man. But whenever I meet a Christian leader, I meet a manager. These words begin to jump off the page to me because it echoed a lot like someone that just has a job and not a calling. It began to remind me of someone that's in it for the long game because they need the 401k or they want to retire or maybe they're looking for a platform somewhere or notoriety, their name must be known. But ladies and gentlemen, I hope to God that I'm not preaching to people that came to Indiana Bible College because of a career. But I hope that I'm preaching to a group of young men and young women that in an altar call one night, maybe at a camp meeting or a youth rally, 
You walked to that front not knowing the direction God wanted to take you, but something was drawing you to an altar of repentance. And in that moment that you begin to pour your life out to God, God began to give confirmation of exactly who you were. And you decided in that moment that it doesn't matter what dreams I've had of my future that made me lead me down the path of a university or a trade school, but God has placed something more important in my life, and that is a call to step into the ministry. See, I believe we have to reevaluate ourselves. I'm not against these terms, and I'm certainly not against any pastor that would ever utter this or even think this way. I'm not against us having structure in the church or, or marketing in the church. I'm not against that at all. For pity's sakes, we have a marketing department, Brother Brzezinski. I think those are things that are needful. And, and I'm not against uh, graphic design and, and putting logos on windows. I'm not against that at all. Because we have that right here at Indiana Bible College. But you know what I am against? I am against if we begin to eliminate the spiritual aspect of everything that we do. When we walk into church and all we're trying to do is raise up individuals that have great skill sets or great capacity, then you know what we failed to do? We failed to let God intervene spiritually and we failed to let Him take a, just a mere clay and put it on the potter's wheel and begin to shape and form it for the use and for His glory. There comes a moment where you've got to lay your talent aside and you've got to say, here is my heart. We begin to look at Samuel's life. It's, it's, a, it's a perplexing story to me. I cannot even imagine what this mama went through. Not having ever been a mother myself, seems rather strange. But having been a father, even in that context, it seems strange. I've thought about it. Don't get me wrong. It may have crossed my mind on briefly. Like for maybe a second. I mean, I, I, I didn't entertain the thought. I'm not proud of it. I thought, we could just give them away. That's a joke. <laughs> that's why parents, when you do stuff that's dumb, they say, oh, that's your child. Or you're acting like your mother. <laughs> because in that moment, we don't want to claim them. <laughs> Even though probably we just saw ourselves come out and we're like, oh, well, there it is. Apple did not fall far from that tree. It's right there. But here was a mom that was so desperate to receive that she was willing to give. Isn't it astounding that sometimes the greatest miracles are those that you give to someone else? At least that's what this case would imply. Because she prayed that God would bless her with a child. And she said, if you bless me with this child, I'll give it back to you. You know what I believe the greatest miracle is outside of being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost? Is you giving your life to the service of the Lord. And the greatest ministry that you'll have is when you give your ministry back to Him. Because if you get to that place where you think this ministry is mine and belongs to me, then you've failed and you've miserably messed up because it's not yours. It's God's. 
That's why we don't get locked into places or positions or titles. Oh, hear me. It's not about places, positions, or titles. It's about the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter where you serve as long as you know this one thing. This is where God has placed me. It doesn't matter how small or how big that church is. It doesn't matter how messed up that youth group looks. It doesn't matter how insignificant you may think you are in ministry compared to all of your peers that went to Indiana Bible College and it seems like they're going places and you're just stuck in this little tiny town and no one even knows who you are if God has placed you there that's the moment that you've been waiting for because it's about giving the greatest miracle back to the service of the miracle giver when Hannah began to pray that prayer I doubt that she even had any idea in her mind that this was going to be the greatest prophet that had ever lived in Israel but she said if you give me I'll give back oh I wish there were some IBC students that you would get in your mind that thought an idea that God whatever you bless me with if I can play the piano if I can sing on tune if I can preach a message if I can go overseas and open up a country God it's not mine it's not about me but I'll give it back to you and the glory comes to your kingdom and Hannah gave back this baby I don't know how old the baby was. It just said that when he was, when he was sufficient to survive on his own, in essence, it may have been three years of age. Some would speculate. A three-year-old little toddler. How old's Rhett? He's two. I mean, you've got one year left with this little guy. And you're going to just say, well, here you go. I'm going to take you up to Calvary. Now, Rhett, we love you, buddy. But you're going to hang out in the gathering place for the rest of your life. I don't know, that seems like an odd thing, isn't it? I don't think you should do that. I think these are different times. But the principle's there, is it not? Oh, Hannah, she raises that baby. She nurtures that baby. She loves that baby. She kisses that baby. She cries when that baby starts to pack his room up. She cries when they load it up in the U-Haul. She's bawling uncontrollably when they're driving down the interstate. And then when they pull up on the hill for the 10 a.m. registration, Mama can't even hardly compose herself. Dad's trying to wipe away those tears because Dad is Dad. He's tough. He's, he's a manly man. But yet they can't compose themselves either. And they're going to usher this baby into this stranger, this high priest called Eli. And Samuel is going to live there. Oh, did y'all feel that? And I wonder what little Samuel was thinking. He didn't have the, the intellectual properties in his brain that were functioning the way yours hopefully were functioning when your parents dropped you off. You probably thought, well, here I am. I'm excited, but I'm terrified. I don't have any friends. I don't really know anybody. Man, I'm going to be weird. I'm going to stand out. You can fit my whole town in Calvary Tabernacle Sanctuary. I've never been in the big city before. I don't even know what 465 is, but it seems to me like it's a big old racetrack, so we might as well drive a hundred mile an hour around that thing. I, I've never driven in traffic like this. There's a shooting at the mall in Greenwood. Dear God, I don't think anybody in my family even owns a gun. Should I get a gun? Because I'm probably going to lose my life going shopping at the mall. There was all kinds of thoughts. But little Samuel didn't think any of those things. You know what he was thinking? I want my mama. I need my mama. And I can't imagine 
imagine mama trying to slip out that door and that baby is crying uncontrollably but she committed something to God and she wasn't going to go back no matter how hard it was it ripped her heart apart no doubt there was a lot of tears that she shed over the next few years and months but she wasn't going back because she knew what she was doing I prayed a prayer and I made a commitment and it doesn't matter how hard Oh, you think a missionary just enjoys packing up everything they own and putting it in crates and shipping it to a foreign country and then arriving there and being sick with malaria so bad they don't even know what happened to their children for days at a time? You think it was easy to leave family behind for four years and friends? But they did it anyways. And the rodent bushes opened up continents and they opened up countries. They knew the commitment that they were making. Uh, but some of us can't even make a commitment to stay off the internet. Some of us can't even make a commitment to stay off websites. Some of us can't make a commitment to pray two minutes a day. Some of us can't make a commitment. We, we're just here because of an obligation, maybe a commitment to mom and dad. But you're thinking in your heart, i got to get out of this place. I'm not going to participate. I'm just fulfilling my time. Oh, I'm so thankful that Samuel, something got a hold of his heart at a young age that he wasn't just there because his mama told him to be there. He wasn't just there because they left me here at the church of God. I've been adopted by some crazy man that's 98 years old and and nobody. my parents don't even love me enough that they would even want to come back and and bring me. Oh, you know what? You've got to get wrong thinking out of your mind. You need to understand this. The call of God will ask you to make sacrifices that seem that you cannot even make it unfathomable. But the call of God will take you places and God will confirm in you things that you never thought were possible. Come on, there's purpose and there's satisfaction and there's peace that passes understanding and there's commitment that you can't find anywhere else except fulfilling the call of God for your life. Your friends don't understand it. Your family doesn't understand it. But you've got to get in your mind, this is what I'm going to do because I made a vow to God. Yeah, Samuel could have been like everybody else in the house because there were two other boys that were being raised by Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Can you imagine being a young kid and watching these two young men, probably teenagers when he was introduced, and they're living the same life that you've been called to live, but boy, it seems like they're getting by with a lot of stuff that you ain't getting by with. Seems like dad, their dad doesn't care. But boy, he sure cares about me. He won't let me do nothing. When you start comparing yourself to carnal people, you'll always come up short. If you start looking at them saying, well, they get by with it, and look at where they're at. Oh yeah, Hophni and Phinehas, they were priests. And they were in charge. But let me tell you something, God had them marked. Just because God's letting you get by for a little bit doesn't mean that God approves of your action. 
Because Hophni and Phinehas, yeah, they were going in and they were partaking of the meat and they were partaking of all the goodness and they were used to all the stuff that was coming with the job and with the title. And they were saying, ah, you know what? I don't want the sodden meat like my father has. I want the roasted. So you give that first to me and what's left over then we're going to give to God. You know, they were, they were taking sacrifices and robbing people in the house of the Lord. They were going against the very structure that God had orchestrated for worship and sacrifice. They were perverting the church. They were doing more things than that. You know what they were doing? We're all adults here. They, they were hooking up with girls on the doorsteps of the temple and taking them in and sleeping with them. They were fornicating in the house of God and yet you keep looking. I wonder if Samuel saw them and said, well my, my, my. I guess I can just do whatever I want and still be a man of God. But no, no, no. You see there was something in Samuel's mind. I don't know when it got into his spirit really. Maybe it was when God began to speak to him but something began to happen every year Samuel began to minister in front of Eli the priest and Samuel that child began to grow up and every year he got a little bigger and a little bigger you know what I think that means I think there was something maturing in the spirit of Samuel he didn't walk into the church and stay in the mindset of a three year old just trying to patty cake and play games and whine and cry and need a diaper change but he grew up every year and he began to understand there's right and there's wrong. There's the purpose of God and there's things that I've got to do. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. I need to do what God has called me to do. So, so you know what I want to say? I, I'm going to have to stay. You know what? i got to say this. You know what I want to say? I'm, I'm going to tell you this. you got to grow up. You, you just got to grow up. So some of you walked into IBC and, and you can't even do laundry. Uh, you don't even know how to cook food, but you got an oven right there, guys. Some of you girls are like, man, I wish I had an oven. But it wouldn't do any good because you can't cook anything anyways. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? Some of you are going to go home next week. You know why? Because you miss mommy so much. You're 18 years old. You know, there's 18-year-old men and women. Praise God, you got a battery? Did I just turn this off? Well, we could blame this on the devil, but it's not the devil. Here, hold that. You know what? There's 18-year-old men and women that uh, back in 1943, they went and fought for their country on foreign soils. And some of them were younger than you are. And you know what happened to them? They said, we got to grow up. we got to do what's right. There's an enemy that's coming against our freedom. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't have a microphone. Now, don't, don't mistake this. I'm not trying to tell you you can't be homesick. And I'm not trying to tell you that if you feel like you're supposed to go, that you shouldn't go. But what I am telling you is don't forget the vow that you made to God. Because when you committed to God, it doesn't matter what happens in your emotions. You learn to rise up and overcome and say, God, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. It doesn't matter what attack comes against me by the enemy. I'm going to stay true to the call. I'm going to serve with passion and with anointing and with purpose. That's what God is asking of you. Yeah, but, but old Hoffnai, <laughs> he's having a party every weekend. And he, he's still going in and, and doing the sacrifice and participating in the incense and, and, and all the feast. Yeah, but, but old Phineas, he, he, he's, he's just leading the worship up there. And, and everybody thinks he's amazing. And, and, and I, I've never even been able to, to stand up. And for, I, I just got this little dummy ephod on. And, 
and I'm just this pure little kid that don't know nothing about ministry. I, oh, I wonder if those are the thoughts that Samuel had. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I just kind of wonder what human nature would lead us in the conclusions that we would come to if we were Samuel. But Samuel said, I, I'm getting bigger and I'm getting stronger and there's a purpose. Oh, you know what, Eli? Eli wasn't doing what was right because we, we, we could really draw the conclusion that he didn't correct his sons really good. I mean, he did talk to them a little bit, but he didn't set them down and he didn't remove them from position. So you know what? He was allowing some things to happen in the church then some of us can't get past because we look at our pastor and we say he needs to deal with that he needs to take care well why isn't pastor doing the right thing and you know what it's messing with the way you think and how you view salvation and some of you are thinking about walking out of church because you think your pastor didn't do the right thing you know what it shouldn't matter what your pastor does there should be something inside of your heart that says I don't care what anybody else does I know who I am the commitment that I've made I'm not just a child anymore but I I've grown up and I've got a ministry. God's called me to preach the gospel. Yeah, because uh, some people have a job. I hope you get a job. No, I mean, that's really, I hope you all get a job and I hope you pay your school bill. But that job, and you may have to work that job even while you're pastoring a church. And there's nothing wrong with that. You, you, you may have to work a job while you're the music minister at a church. You, you may have to work a long time, like 50, 60 hours a week. You, you might have to really sacrifice. And, and you may look over and see some Hoffman or Phineas, and they're driving the big car, living in a nice house. Or, or you may look over and see Samuel that's driving the nice car, living in a big house. And you could have some thoughts, and you think, hmm. That stings a little bit. But don't forget the vow that you made to God. Because some have jobs that I've got a calling. And so it doesn't matter how insignificant you feel the opportunity is. God's got a purpose for your life. Because you know what Samuel was preparing for? He was preparing himself for that moment that his pastor and his priest was going to die. He didn't understand it, I don't think. I don't think he really understand the brevity of it. But there was going to come a moment. I, I don't even know how old he was. There's a lot of speculation. I know that, that Eli served for 40 years. Maybe Samuel was close to that age. I don't know, Brother Kilman. Uh, maybe he was still a teenager when it happened. I, I have no idea. Those smarter people than I, they'll figure it out. They'll go through the timeline and, and read Jewish history. All I know is what, what that says right there. It doesn't give us a time or a day. But, oh, Eli fell over backwards because the, the, the Philistines had come in and they'd taken the ark. They put it in a place that it shouldn't have been. And he falls over backwards because of the ark is gone and his sons are dead. You know what that tells me? That God has justice and God will take care of all those issues if you just give him time. But don't be focused on it. Don't, don't get eaten up by it. You just focus on what God has asked you to do. You focus on your calling and where God wants to take you. And when he fell over dead, guess who had to step up? and be the prophet priest. It was Samuel that had to step up. You see, God was preparing him. Scripture doesn't say the education that he has. Scripture doesn't say who became his mentor after that. I don't know if he even had a mentor. There were prophets there. Maybe they did. There, there were judges there. Maybe they did. I don't know. But you want to know what I know? God had put something in his heart when he began to identify that's the voice of God. That's the voice of God. That's the voice of God. Here I am. Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. You see, there was some training that was so pivotal to his life 
life. He understood the voice of God, number one, and how to respond to the voice of God. Here I am. I'll listen. And more importantly, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And he was ready because when God took the high priest out, God said, Samuel, it's your turn. Don't rush the process. Don't rush the process. Don't rush the process. There's going to come a moment when God said, it's your turn. It's your turn. Come on, you've got to step into it. You may not feel qualified. You may not feel like you're able. But God is saying, it's your turn. Come on, it's your turn. It may be tomorrow when you're driving down the road and there's a homeless person on the side of the street. It may be in an altar call where somebody's crying and God just says, you need to speak a word into their life. You need to pray for them. Then maybe it's that moment where that time opens up and they ask you last minute to come and to preach a youth rally in your section and you're saying, I'm not qualified. But God is saying, it's your time. It's your time because it's more than a job. You don't have to hit benchmarks and qualification. All you have to do is know the voice of God and do His will. You see, maybe that's what I need to talk about. Where are we at on time? I'm sweating up here and I don't know what time it is. 11.40. Oh, we got to go. We're done. I mean, we're not done until 12.05, right? So 11.40, that's 20 by 12 and then 5. And then I'll take another 15. So yeah, we're good. We got plenty of time. So preachers, that's how you do preacher math right there. Just, just five more minutes. Five more minutes. Five more minutes. Five more minutes? Okay, thank you. Well, that's 5, 10, 15, 20. See, we're good. I knew it worked out well. Every person that nods gives you five minutes. You didn't know that? You, if you're going to preach revivals, you got to figure this stuff out. So where was I? Oh, yeah, there I was. The talent. The talent thing. In case you haven't noticed, I don't play any instruments. And I don't sing. I pretend like I do. I feel sorry for whoever... What? Uh, the person that stands right here, that's it, right there. Thank you. Uh, is that an alto or a soprano? You're a soprano. I feel sorry for whoever stands there because I stand right there. I'm within just a couple feet. Did you hear me? How was it? See, she's intimidated to tell me. She thinks that something's going to happen. You know, here's the thing. I don't really sing words to songs. I sing phrases. Part of the time, I don't even know the words to the song. I don't have time to memorize every new song that you're introducing. The only thing I'm worried about, is it, is it, is it correct? That's what I'm worried about. So I don't really have time to memorize those songs. I can sometimes barely remember names of people in my family. Someone told me this a few years ago. They said, your memory is like penguins. And your mind's an iceberg. And everything you remember, you put a little penguin on that iceberg. But there comes a point where you're going to have so many penguins that there's no more room on the iceberg. And when you put a new penguin on, one or two will fall off on the backside. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I've hit global warming on my iceberg. If I don't write it down, it won't get done. Just know that for sure. If you tell me a lot of information and I'm not taking notes, just know this. He has good intention. He has good intention. It doesn't mean I love you less. It just means I forgot to write it down at the moment. But maybe it'll come back to me. I believe the Lord anoints your mind. Hallelujah. And just gives you things that you didn't even know. You know what? That's happened so many times in my life. Have you ever been sitting there and talking to someone? Maybe it was a Bible study you were teaching. And they asked this question that you're like, oh, I 
And then you're just like, so you start talking, and you're like, I don't know why my mouth is moving, but it's moving right now. And all of a sudden, you begin to hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, and you're like, whoa. I didn't even know I knew that. <laughs> Some of y'all are not, and, and you're like, I'm, I'm impressing myself right now. <laughs> like, and let me tell you something. That is not you. That is the Holy Ghost. And God's speaking through you because he cares more about that person you're talking to. And so God's going to give them the correct information. Now, that's not an excuse not to study. That's not an excuse not to get in the word. But every now and then, God will help you out. Amen. So you, when you look at talent, stop trying to rate people by talent. Oh, I know how it is. Somebody's going to get up and sing. And you'll be like, they're going to be leading worship because of times next year. Someone gets up and preach. And you're like, oh, that's going to be a general superintendent. Or they're going to be preaching conference. Our, our man, I'm telling you what, that, oh, that, that, that guy over there, that's the pastor, the pastor. Like, he's going to pastor. When Brother Carson gets so old that he can't pastor, he's going to take Calvary Tabernacle. That's what's going like, to Now, some of y'all are laughing because y'all have been rating people, and y'all have been, like, telling who's going to take what church and who's going to preach. And you know what? You will be sorely disappointed. Because you know what God does? He looks at the heart. And not the talent. And some of the most amazing people that I've ever met, if you would have seen them at 18 years of age, you probably would not have put them down of anything that they would have accomplished. But God had an idea. Now, I'm not saying God can't use your talent. But here's what happens sometimes with talented people. They rely more on their talent than they do the presence of God. And you've got to be careful because if you begin to get into that mindset, what you're going to do is you'll sell yourself short from what God truly wants to do in your life. So you've got to say, God, I thank you for the talent, but I'm going to get more of your spirit. I thank you for what you've gifted me in, but you know what? It's nothing without the anointing. You may hit everything right and you may have a mind that you can build a sermon but if there's no anointing it doesn't change lives you can get up and move people's emotions and they'll like you for a moment but if there's no anointing in the presence of God it doesn't change lives and what changes lives is God's spirit you want to be successful in ministry you know what you need you need the favor of God you know how you get the favor of God you get in this altar and you get something that will cause you to never go back on your commitment to be a minister the gospel. Some have jobs and I'm glad. But guess what? You've got a calling on your life and God is asking you to step up because there's not a prophet and there's not a priest. But we need a Samuel that's going to rise up to this generation and say, I'll give truth. I'll do what's not favorable. I'll go against the culture. I'll be what God has asked me to be. Hallelujah. It's a calling. It's a calling. So here's my question. Well, what are you going to do? Because life is full of good intent. And there's some people that never move beyond good intent. Somebody told me recently. It was the first week of school. They said, I'm doing incredible. Got all my homework turned in. All of my assignments have A's and B's. Things are well. And it's the first week of school. But there's a pattern that develops in some of those people's lives where things are really great that first week of school. And then Mark conference hits, and it's a little tough because schedule starts to build up, and, and you're like, man, that was exhausting. 
And you're like, I'm going to take Monday off because we had two services on Sunday and Mark conference and I got a lot of preaching and I got homework I didn't get done. I didn't manage my time real well. And brother so-and-so has given me a 10-page paper and I love him for that. And sister so-and-so said we have homework due and I've got a reading assignment. And I'm going to take Monday and I am going to get all that done. And you don't set your alarm because you're not going to classes and you sleep until 1. And you get up and you're like, man, why am I so much more tired sleeping till 1 than I would be if I got up at 7? I just can't get motivated today. So you go drink a lot of coffee and a couple Red Bulls. And you get a Jet Smoothie from Quincy's Coffee that has caffeine in it, by the way. And uh, you finish your last cup of coffee at 10 o'clock and you've almost got something done. Uh, but you've been so jittery and focused and you can't even think because your hands are shaking because you've caffeinated. And then somebody wants to go out and you go out and have a good time eating food that you really can't afford. <laughs> and then by the time you get to wind down and all the caffeine goes through your system, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. And then you go to bed because you're exhausted. And your alarm goes off because you got an 8 a.m. on Tuesday. And you're like, oh, I can't even think. I'm so tired. I think I've got enough absences. <laughs> Do they say you're dropped on the sixth one or the fifth one? I'm sure it's the sixth one. I'll be fine. I just can't make it. And you begin to fall into a cycle. And you begin to spiral. Some of us pull out of that cycle. We bounce back. But here's the problem. Sometimes at IBC, we look purely at the academic structure. And our motivator is to get to class. And we're so exhausted and we're running on fumes because we've overcommitted on so many different areas of our life. And social is the primary one. And all we can think about is class, class, class assignments, assignments. And there's something that is dreadfully missing. And that's the spiritual component. I'm not the campus pastor anymore. I'm going to pass this on to the campus pastor. No, not the sermon, just this thought. Because <laughs> he'll preach another hour. And, uh, although he's a really short-winded preacher. We're going to have to work on that, Brother Turner. <laughs> People that come to my office, I still tell them this. I used to tell them this all the time as campus pastor. And they would say, I need to stay consistent. I've I got to get spiritual. I mean, you would think you're at a Bible college that that would just come with territory. But no, believe it or not, it doesn't. Being spiritual doesn't mean coming to church and showing up. It's more than that. And so you know what I tell them? Anybody know what I tell them? Time's over. I tell them two by two. Has anybody, raise your hand if I told you this. Oh, there's like three people. Two by two. And you know what that is? It's two minutes of prayer and two verses every day. And people think, well, that's, I've had one student tell me, like, that's ridiculous. No, they literally said that. That's ridiculous. And uh, they said, like, how can you even be spiritual by just reading two verses in two minutes? I said, well, it's more than what you're doing now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're, you're doing nothing, so that's something. And here's what it is. It's a small commitment. That's a small commitment. How long does it take you to read two verses and, and pray two minutes? Like two minutes and 30 seconds maybe. I mean, if you throw Jesus' weapon there as one of them, you could be done in like 10 seconds. 
I mean, it's like real quick, boom, you're done. And uh, that's not that big of a deal. In two minutes of prayer. I mean, you can't even hardly pray for, for your parents and your siblings in, in two minutes. I mean, it takes a while to get through that. I mean, you can't even pray for your broken relationship that happened last week in two minutes. But <laughs> two minutes and two verses. and Because uh, that happens a lot, by the way, apparently. And, uh, but you know what you have to do when you go to bed every night? Is, uh, is you have to lay your head down on a pillow. And if you didn't do two verses in two minutes, you have to tell God, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't have time for you today. I, I couldn't give you two minutes and 30 seconds. But boy, you spent an hour and 45 minutes according to the time limit on your phone, on Instagram and social media before you went to bed. But you couldn't spend two minutes and 30 seconds just saying, Lord, I thank you for this day and all that you've done and your blessing. And God, I pray that you'd keep your hand upon me. You see, what happens is sometimes you begin to feel something that you didn't expect to feel in that 30 second, that two minute and 30 seconds. And it begins to lead you down this path where God begins to speak to you. And an hour or two goes by. You see, I'm not so concerned how much you go over, but I'm concerned about the little that you can give. Because when you start giving, God starts blessing. And the more you give, the more he blesses. Ladies and gentlemen, somebody's got to make a decision right here and right now that I'm not going to get caught in a cycle. But this first week, I'm going to establish my priority. And I've got to connect with God. Connect with God. Come on, it's good to get in your classroom and learn about the things of God. And it's great to show up here twice a week and worship Him and then to have church on top of that. You're going to get more church than you've ever had in your life. But if you don't get something personal with Him, that you've missed out on what God's trying to do. It's more than a job. It's more than an education. It's more than just showing up. It's more than just being a part. You've got to make sure it's a calling. It's a calling. Because you want to know what a calling does. It gets you up in the morning when you say, I don't want to get up. It causes you to look at people and to minister to them. When your mind is screaming, you're done with them. You should walk away. It causes you to reach out and to do some passion, some compassionate kindness for a random stranger that you would have completely ignored. But it's a calling. It's a calling. It causes you to buckle down and to prepare a sermon or practice for a solo. It causes you to pray like there's no tomorrow because it's more than a job. It's a calling. There needs to be somebody in this first service as I'm closing that's going to make a commitment and you're going to walk to this altar and say, God, I'm not interested in a job and I'm not interested in just a degree and I'm not interested in just going to classes. But God, what I'm interested in is to know my calling. There needs to be a Samuel spirit rise up in this generation. The devil's going to do everything that he can to destroy you and tear you down. But somebody... Somebody has got to make up in your mind that I'm called by God. This is my ministry. I don't care what everybody else does. I don't care who's not doing what. I know who I am. And I'm a minister of the gospel. So here it is. Here it is. I've preached too long. I've preached too long. Please forgive me. But I need somebody that's going to make a commitment. Now, I'm not interested in your emotional response. I, I don't even want you to step out unless you're serious. Because may, maybe it's something that I... Ah, I won't do it. I, I wish I would, but I won't. I shouldn't. Because it would be wrong of me if I did. But it kind of makes me want to just mark down every person that comes up to this front. 
And if you ever get in the place where you start to slack, it makes me want to just come to you and say, you made a commitment. And some of you would be more afraid of me coming to you and telling you that than you are of God that looks down upon you in the private times of your life. But there needs to be somebody with every eye closed. I don't care if you come up to this altar or not. But I want to know, is there somebody that's going to say it's a calling? And God, I want a calling. Is there somebody that's going to say, I don't care what the world thinks of me? Is there somebody that's going to say, I'm going to overcome my past? Because some of you, your past was last week. And you did things that you wouldn't want anybody in this room knowing about. But it's time for you to start all over. And you need to pour your life out. And you need to ask Him to forgive you. And you need to say, God, I'm looking for a call. God, I, maybe, maybe you were the Hophni and Phinehas of your church. And maybe there were some things that you did that you, you're not proud of. But this is what I believe. I don't believe it's too late for you. I believe you need to get into a place in the presence of God. And you need to say, I surrender my life to you. God, I give you all. I give you all. Come on, that's it. Somebody right now, I, I challenge you. Maybe you need to pray for your mind. And the thoughts that the enemy has brought against you over and over again. And you need to pray against that. Maybe the devil's tried to mess you up. He's tried to convince you you made a mistake because you can't live that life. And you can't make that commitment. Oh, but I'm telling you, you can. By the power of the Holy Ghost. God can use you. God can create something inside of you. Come on, there's a Samuel that's growing up right now. Come on, you're growing up. Come on, they, they, your, your coat's getting too small and mama's got to bring you another one because they're not going to recognize who you are spiritually when you get back in fall break and, and Christmas break because something has to change now where you get a hold of the presence of the Lord and say, God, I surrender my life to you. Come on, that's it. Come on, that's it. Don't let the enemy convince you that you can't do it. Come on, you need to say, God, here I am. Here I am. I surrender all to you. Come on, somebody needs to pray. Come on, you need to pray so hard that you push out every distraction. You need to pray so fervently that you push out every mistake you've ever made. You need to get to a place where you say, God, I repent. I surrender. God, I need you. Oh, come on, that's it, that's it. Come on, what you're doing is you're bringing that to the altar and you're laying it. This is your sacrifice. Come on, this is a broken and contrite heart. In the name of Jesus. 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 Oh, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Come on, some of you upperclassmen need to lay hands on some of these Last year at Preview Weekend, we had an amazing crowd. In fact, we had a waiting list and had to turn people away. So this year we are announcing a fall preview weekend happening November 3rd. If you'd like to be a part of that weekend, 
Stay tuned. Sign-up information will be coming soon. Good news to all the musicians and worship leaders who use multi-tracks. The Welcome Home album multi-tracks are now available on the IBC store. That was formerly voicevision.com. It is now the IBC store accessible at store.indianabible.college. There are multi-tracks, chord charts from Welcome Home as well as previous albums. Check it all out at the IBC store.